Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast where we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. We're midway through 2021, so what better time is there to step back and take in the big picture for a media sector that has been impacted by the pandemic in many different ways? To sort through it all, I've brought back to the podcast Naveen Sarma, Senior Director of S&P Global Ratings. He first came on Strictly Business in early 2019, where he demonstrated a keen eye for understanding the industry from his vantage point as a credit analyst. And now he's back to offer an updated perspective. It's all coming up today on this episode of Strictly Business. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
Welcome back to Strictly Business, where my guest is Naveen Sarma, Senior Director of S&P Global Ratings. I wanted to start with sort of the broadest possible context in terms of taking a look at where the global economy is in the emergence from the pandemic, and then sort of put that within, uh, put the media business within that context, because obviously one impacts the other. Sure, absolutely. So it's an, it's an interesting time right now because, you know, we've certainly had um, you know, a lot of growth this year, a lot of expectations. We expect in the U.S. that GDP will grow more than, than 6%, clearly off of a you know, base last year, but still that's really strong growth. But you're starting to see signs of, of pressure um, on potential growth that could lead to you know, slowing of a growth. And those are primarily things around inflation. We've seen inflation step up in the United States. And that's really from a couple of reasons, right? You have the stimulus money that the government has, um, <clears throat> the U.S. government has given to, um, you know, to to uh, to the population. A lot of that money is sitting in bank accounts and is now being spent, and that's driving up prices. And the other thing is you're having pressure from supply chains, which is something that we're spending a lot of time looking at as well, not just within media but across all of our corporate ratings. Um, is supply chains are under pressure, and you're seeing pricing go up because of that. And then the second thing is the pressure. Um, the potential pressure from interest rates going up. And, you know, we've heard some, some statements out of the Fed over the last couple of weeks and indicate that maybe um, interest rates could go up sooner rather than what people expected, which is, you know, 22, maybe 23. And, and what that means from a media standpoint and, and really from a, a, a corporate standpoint is you had a lot of companies make it through the crisis by issuing a lot of debt to shore up liquidity, um, you know, put cash on their balance sheets to try to, to you know, to survive the pandemic. They've survived the pandemic, but they have balance sheets that are, are over levered. And so, you know, the last thing they want to see is inflation, you know, kick in and also interest rates go up. And so that's a that's something that we're spending a lot of time thinking about um, because we have a lot of companies like that. And I'm sure we'll touch on some of them. Sure. Uh, I'm also curious to hear your perspective of what this sort of global economy means with regard to advertising, because I would imagine. I mean, we're seeing the data come in both on the TV side and the tech side. It just seems like marketers are chomping at the bit to get at consumers again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. What's interesting, I mean, we thought advertising would be, you know, weaker last year. It wasn't. Um, and, and and we can talk about, you know, what this year, which is you're getting a, you know, a bifurcation in some sectors that are recovering faster than others. But let's just start off by saying, you know, digital advertising was down maybe negative for one month last year, April. And then it came roaring back. And so, you know, the, the shifts in spending to digital really helped overall advertising recover much faster. And if you look at more traditional advertising, whether it's, um, you know, it's on television or radio or outdoor, television, especially national television, hung on really, really well. Advertisers seemed to back off a bit, but then realized that the recovery was coming. And so they wanted to be in front of consumers, you know, pitching their brands. And so they didn't pull back as, as quickly or as, as thoroughly as we thought they were going to. And then, you know, you had you had political advertising, which really helped local and really helped support local television. Um, and then, you know, you kind of swing to this year. You have outdoor coming back really strong. You have local. I and mean, some of these sectors are talking about already being at 2019 levels, which is far faster than we thought. Um, you know, national is, is trailing a bit. But, you know, a bit of that is the secular trends as well. But I think overall, when you look at advertising, it's, a, it's in a lot better shape than we thought it was going to be at this point. 
But Naveen, it seems a little nutty to me on the TV side because what we have seen clearly, uh, even before the pandemic, accelerated by the pandemic, is linear television is, I don't, I don't, I don't know what metaphor do we use, falling off a cliff, uh, clearly declining precipitously. So why are they getting more money for less viewers? <laughs> you and I talked about this recently. It's crazy um, because, you know, you, you think that, you know, given those dynamics, you'd start to see a weakening in CPMs, but that just isn't happening. And I think primarily it's because television is really the best way. And, and at the moment, the only way to reach the broadest audiences. So if you're advertising, you know, to, to generate transactional revenue, you're going to go digital. But if you're looking to build brands, you still have to go to television. And so, you know, at the moment, advertisers still want television. And I think you're going to see that start to weaken eventually. And I think, I think the other thing that's complicating it is linear television is being combined and sold with, um, with, with, you know, with digital television, you know, the streaming services. And so you're getting, you know, sales across both platforms. If you were to break one and the other, you'd see dynamics that are different. But if you combine the two, um, the digital side is definitely supporting the, the linear television side. Well, let's talk a bit more about streaming because advertising obviously isn't just the, the entire picture there. It's the subscription dollar infusion uh, that has been so interesting to watch. All these media companies chasing Netflix right now. And, you know, the pandemic, again, seemed to have an impact there, although a very positive one, much more consumption than ever. All these streaming servers coming into the market at that time. Where does that set us up in terms of the next leg of the race for these streaming services? Sure. It's, it's interesting because you had a pull forward of a lot of subscribers over the, over the last year. And so, I mean, Netflix is a perfect example of all of a sudden all these new subscribers came in. And I think you're seeing part of that um, manifest in, in maybe call it you know, slightly weaker subscriber growth this year. But, you know, comparing to last year is, not, is a bit unfair. Um, but I think what we've, what we've got now is we have a number of companies that have decided that they want to be global. And, and go after, you know, in kind of the Netflix model. But what you need for that is you need two things. One, you need um, scale of content and scale of distribution. You need to be in a lot of countries. Um, and if you look at all the players, they're all have different, they're all in different stages of that kind of competition or that kind of those characteristics, if that's what they want to do. Um, you know, clearly Disney has both the scale of content as well as the, the geographic scale, they benefited from um, the, you know, the 21st century Fox acquisition. And so they're pretty far along in terms of, um, if you want to call it, you know, competing against um, a Netflix. But if you look at um, some of the other players, you know, they're either lacking in scale geographically, and, and I would point to like you know, Comcast, NBC, and, and Time Warner, which we'll talk about, or Warner Brothers, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, but they all are, and then you have other companies that are lacking in, in content. And I think Discovery is a good example of that. They, they're certainly one of the um, one of the most diverse geographically media companies in the world, but they don't have the same kind of uh, content scale. And so I think what you're seeing is a lot of companies that have decided we're going to go down that path, or those companies that have decided they're going to go down that path, looking at the assets that they have and making decisions on do they have the right set of assets and do they want to keep playing this game? And you know, and I think Fox and, or I think Discovery and, and Warner are clearly in that boat. Well, to me, this is the biggest question mark looming over the space, because as you're describing it, there are these companies that are trying to play by the Netflix playbook, 
spending what I could would, would assume seems to be putting them well in front of their skis as they can cannibalize their core business. So, you know, is the market taking it on faith that the Netflix playbook can still be played years after Netflix has already played it? It's a good question. Um, I, I mean, initially, if you looked at some of the run-ups and let, let's, you know, I mean, what happened to Discovery and Viacom was a bit of, you know, an anomaly this year. But you did see a run-up in the, like the Disney stock where, you know, investors looked at this and, and gave them credit for 250 million subscribers. And then as we kind of got into the first quarter and the numbers came maybe a little weaker than people expected, they pulled back a little. And so I think you're going to have over the next year um, a, a separation um, in, in, in the market's eyes about who are the winners and who are the losers. But, you know, what we're, we spent a lot of time getting asked this question and a lot of times and, and we're spending a lot of times deflecting it at the moment because I think it's eight too early to pick winners and losers. But I also think it's a bit unfair to look at everybody and paint them in the same brush and say, everyone needs to be like Netflix. You talk to Comcast about their, you know, about what they want out of NBC. It's different than what Disney wants to, to achieve. And so I think you have to look at it within the context of their strategies and so and what they're trying to achieve. Well, when you look at this, as you put it, this separation that is happening in the streaming land, deals like uh, Warner Media and Discovery make sense. Deals like Amazon and MGM make sense. They're trying to get into that top tier. Uh, what do you think of Warner Discovery? Let, let, let's start with that, that combination. Well, I, I think one of the things, and I have to keep reminding investors of this, this point, which is prior to AT&T buying Warner, Warner was arguably the best media company in the world. And this is before Disney merge with, with 21st Century Fox. We kind of forget that, right? Because it got buried yeah. within, within AT&T. And so now you, you stand back and you look at Warner. And, and what's interesting from I, I, the, the, the transaction, I think, was more a function of um, both companies looking at what they had and realizing they needed to do something. AT&T looked at Warner and looked at, frankly, all of its other businesses and says, well, you know, we have a limited amount of capital. It's AT&T, but it's a limited amount of capital. What do we have to spend it on? And it was Spectrum. And it's 5G. And so the Warner side of the business wasn't going to be able to get the kind of investments, A, in programming, but also in expansion overseas, because they don't really have that big a footprint overseas um, compared to some of their peers. And so they realized, AT&T realized they just couldn't make the investments to make Warner a truly global streaming service. And then you turn and you around and you look at Discovery. Discovery's in 200 odd markets. And so they've got the, um, the global footprint. But I think what they've discovered is that launching with the content they have is a bit of a challenge. It's good content. It's niche content. And so if you're trying to get to 200 or 300 or I mean, I know David Zaslav said 400 million, but if you're trying to get to a, you know hundreds of millions of subscribers, I don't think the discovery content on its own is it can do that. And you need to have kind of, you know, the, 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 the Warner Brothers big movies and, you know, you know, big brands. And so the combination of the two, I think, is a reflection of the limitations that both companies had. And so that made and, a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and it also creates another big question for this space, which is you look at what's gone on now. And if you're Viacom CBS, if you're NBC Universal, must you make similar moves in the M&A uh, arena in order to 
be able to compete at the highest levels, to be among the top tier streaming services. Do you do you, do you see much activity coming on in this as a result of the Warner Discovery deal? I don't know. I don't think so. And I, and I say that because I think there's been a lot of, I would say there's been a, probably a lot more internal discussions within both companies as to what their, what their goals are. And I think you have to look at them separately. I think if you look at Comcast, it's a cable company. I think, you know, I think Brian realizes that, that NBC is called it limited scale, you know, compared to, to the other companies. And, and, and that's fine for him. If all of these, all of these, if all of, if all he is thinking, get that one out, is that NBC is there to support the cable business and the sky business in Europe. And if that's all it is, it's plenty, it's plenty large enough in terms of the amount of content it has and the, and the content that it produces, not just a library, but also um, you know, it's, its production out of its film studio to be able to support that business. Viacom is a separate question because they don't have you know, that, those kinds of businesses to lean on. Um, and so if they really want to be like, you know, Disney, they've got more scale. And, and it kind of what's interesting is the guidance that they gave so far for their global subscribers was this is off the top of my head, 65 to 75 million. You know, maybe that says something about their intentions overseas or, you know, I, it, it's a question that they'd have to answer. I, I don't know if M&A necessarily solves that problem, but maybe they need to scale back on their, you know, on their expectations overseas. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more from Naveen Sarma. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back with Naveen Sarma, Senior Director of S&P Global Ratings. I also mentioned uh, a very different deal, Amazon MGM, uh, different in the sense that it brings together entertainment and big tech in a way we, we haven't really seen before, but also I think is similarly motivated in terms of the Warner Discovery deal. This is about competing in the streaming race. It's not scaling up for the global push, but it is scaling up the sort of the content arsenal, don't you think? I do. I do. I agree with you. I for the longest time, I was a bit skeptical about whether or not either Apple or um, or Amazon would really want to get into in, into the entertainment business, into the media business. It's expensive. It's full of, I mean, you know, it's a difficult industry to try to break into. And you've seen other companies try to, to get into media and realize it's it's got a bunch of characteristics that make it very difficult for, for you to get in and be successful, especially if you're not a media company getting in there. Um, so what Amazon is doing is interesting because they've always kind of dabbled on the side. They have a studio, they've hired people, they bought content. This just seems to be a bigger push. Having said that, it's I think their their intention still is to try to sell you know diapers and you know retail stuff. And so the content, how big they want to get in terms of their content base, um, it will be interesting to see. They don't want to get too big, I think, but they also want to be able to offer enough content that people will stay on their websites and use that as a um, kind of a selling point to get people to sign up for Amazon Prime, you know, especially in those markets where, you know, either the, the shipping costs are higher or you can't do one or two day delivery. Got it. I do wonder though, whether this will end up forcing the hand of Apple in terms of its investments in this space. They kicked uh, the tires at uh, MGM at the very least. And there's other entities out there like Lionsgate and AMC uh, that could make sense if Apple wanted to make a similar move. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll see. I, they haven't done anything. They let a lot of deals go. I mean, they, you know, they haven't completed any deals. So we'll have to see if, if they're really serious about being a, a serious media player. So we're talking about all these companies that are spending, you know, tens of billions. Well, not everyone's spending tens of billions, but single billions, tens of billions uh, to be in the programming space. What does this mean in terms of the backlog of production that we've seen building up out of the pandemic? It's amazing, isn't it? I've, every time I pick up Variety or I get an email from Variety, it's another project that just got greenlit. I, you got to wonder how they're going to space this all out and actually produce all this stuff. It, it's got to be years and years of backlog. Um, I, they call it the golden age of television. There's a lot of content. There's just a lot of content. And, you know, and, and from our standpoint, it's putting stress on a lot of companies' balance sheets um, because, you know, the revenue is not going to come in for a while, especially streaming services as you grow that. And so you're going to see, you know, 22, 23, 24 before any of these streaming services even achieve break-even status. And so that stresses the, you know, the balance sheets of all these companies and the cash flows of all these companies. Um, you know, from a rating standpoint, it's a concern. And, and we've taken rating actions where we've you know, downgraded some companies because of that. Um, 
you know, and eventually, and the problem is, you know, if a company doesn't win and spends all that money and doesn't grow out of that, you know, then they're kind of locked in longer term with, with credit measures that are just, are weaker. That's to me a big red flag. And yet I also wonder whether investors kind of, as we saw with Disney at the end of 2020, will still say, wait, I, I see a big streaming service success story happening here, hundreds of millions. So we'll just give them a pass and they'll just keep spending. I, I don't know. I, I think you're going to get some that are going to get a pass and some companies that aren't going to get a pass. Yeah, that's 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 basically how this competition is going to play out. Um, also wanted to ask, you know, we're, we're talking about streaming, but of course, movie theaters remain a, a big part of the business. Movie theaters, of course, took a huge hit during the pandemic. And so I wanted to get your sense of how you saw the exhibition business uh, as we return to normal. Yeah, it's a great question. When we look at all of the sectors that we cover, print, TV, um, the one that, that has popped up on our radar screen is the one, and it's the one that we think is the most impacted and the, the one that's less, most likely to be, you know, to change permanently because of the pandemic are movie theaters. Other ones we think we're going to come back, you know, whether it's theme parks or, you know, um, you know, live events. But, you know, for us, you, A, you had the rise of streaming. You've had the change of, of, of windowing. Um, people may be a bit not reluctant to go back to the theaters, but certainly less likely to because you're going to have other options to see the same piece of content. Um, having said that, you know, we've always thought for years that there were just too many screens in the U.S. And, um, and I, this, I don't want to sound like, you know, we were hoping for this would happen, but we certainly thought that the pandemic would be an opportunity for, for the, the, the industry to look at the number of screens and to reduce those numbers of screens. It, it doesn't appear that that's going to happen. Um, I think we've seen a couple of comments by a couple of, of companies, I think Cinemark talked about this either last week or a couple of weeks ago, where they think, you know, maybe it's five or 5% of screens might shrink. That's probably not sufficient. But I think the ones who are going to benefit from that are the larger guys. The smaller guys um, are the ones who are probably going to consolidate or shrink. And we've seen some bankruptcies. But overall, I think the 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 fund the the, um, the small business funding that came from the U.S. government has supported a lot of these smaller studio, the smaller exhibitors, and so they've managed to survive their way through the pandemic. So you're saying a smaller footprint overall, consolidation bigger companies. Um, you're, you're not saying, as, as some seem to say lately, that we're, we're at a verge of extinction for theaters. Like there's a place for them going forward. There's, oh yeah. Yeah. I, we don't think that that's gonna, I mean, ever, no, no, it won't happen that quickly. I think, I think there's still a need. If you talk to all the studios, they still want to put big blockbusters into the theaters. Um, you're, you know, I think what you're seeing this year, um, you know, with things like, um, what Disney's going to do with Black Widow or what Warner's has done with this entire slate is more a function of um, the pandemic and the uncertainty over are all the theaters going to be reopened. And even today, I think we're at like 85%. And so Black Widow, I mean, F9 comes out this weekend, next weekend, comes out really soon. Yes. And so, you know, it's not going it, to, it'll do really well, but it's not going to be in every theater. And so you're not going to get the kind of releases you got two, two years ago. And so I still think, the studios are hedging their bets this year. But I think going forward, you're going to see Disney put its Marvel movies and its Star Wars movies into the theaters. What you're going to see is also a shrinking number of, call it, you know, 
um, you know, smaller releases, drama, clearly dramas and comedies have kind of already abandoned the theaters. But I think you're going to see more and more of that going forward. Um, you know, will Netflix or Amazon step in and kind of, you know, fill those empty screens? I'd like to think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Netflix looks at the, the theaters and says, you know, you can put a couple of movies in there. But at the end of the day, they're making movies for their, their subscribers. And so putting it into the theaters doesn't benefit their subscribers or the subscriber totals. So I think there's less likely of that happening. So it sounds like you're saying, you know, it's hard to have a monolithic conversation here. Different kinds of movies are going to take on different kinds of dis distribution strategies. Yep. Uh, you know, the biggest and brightest blockbusters will go straight to theaters. I, I think where we're headed though is in a period of experimentation in the coming years for just about everything else in terms of the amount of time they're in theaters exclusively, um, how much they'll be, if they'll be day and date releases. Uh, I mean, do you think it, as I do that there's gonna be a lot of experimentation or will we move to a standard uh, fairly quickly? I mean, you could argue the easiest, simplest thing is 145 day window for everything. And so there's something to be said for simplicity. It, and there is, there is, but, um, but I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be experimentation. I mean, Universal signed, what, 17 days. And so I think you're going to get a lot of that kind of experimentation going forward. Um, so, yeah, I don't think, I don't th I think they'll, they'll all kind of congregate around 45 days. And so instead of 90, it'll be 45, but I think you're going to get, you know, decisions made. And I don't know how close to release it's going to be made, but, you know, the studio will look at the particular movie and say, eh, you know, we're going to put it on the streaming service instead. And so I think you're going to get that kind of variability, which um, I don't know how close to release we're going to see that, but I think that's going to be the case. I mean, I think based off of the, my conversations with all of the studios and all of the exhibitors, the contracts that they've signed so far aren't, you know, one size fits all other than what Warner did for the 21 slate. Everything else is based off of a film by film basis for, for analysis. Got it. We should also be careful to note here, you know, we're, we're kind of talking pretty generally, but there's the U.S. market and then there's everything going on overseas. Um, do you see any fundamental differences uh, between what goes out here in this country and everywhere else, especially in light of the pandemic is obviously impacting the globe in different ways? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I think we as Americans tend to forget about how diverse the world is. So you know, talking about windowing into somebody in France is a totally different conversation because the French government basically comes in and dictates what the windows are. And so, um, and so I think studios have to be well aware of, of what each market um, is like, and especially as we come out of the pandemic, right? Not all of the theaters have opened up around the world. And so, you know, for a movie like Black Widow, you know, if you think it's going to do incredibly well in Europe, then you've got to be a bit careful of how you release it because not all the European theaters are open. F9 made a lot of sense. If you saw the release in China, China's theaters are all open. So um, I think you can't look at the US alone and, and, and draw conclusions off of what studios are going to do based off of the US market. Got it. Uh, it just, I, I, if you're a Disney and you're sitting there with a Disney Plus and you've got the ability to make huge money with your best and brightest movies in theaters. 
how do you navigate that balance, uh, which which Disney to some degree seems to be doing by not just throwing movies on Disney Plus, they, they do some of that as well, but they've got this window where they're spent, you know, consumers have to uh, spend, I think it's like $30 to see a movie while it's in theaters. W- yeah. What do you think of that uh, approach? I, I'm guessing that Disney's probably the only one who can get away with something like that. Right. Um, I, it's interesting. And, and, you know, it isn't clear what kind of, uh, viewing they're getting from for those movies, you know, whether it was Milan or you know any of the other ones that they released that way. I, the only thing I can guess is because they're continuing to do that, they're they're get, you know they're seeing either interesting data or data that's positive. Um, and so I, I, my guess is Disney will be continuing to do that kind of. But I guess, I guess they'll experiment again, right? Some of those movies are going to go to thirty dollars. Some of those are going to be day and date free. Some of them are every movie is going to have a, a different story. Got it. So, so bringing it back around to to the broader view on these businesses as we move into the second half of the year, I mean, are you anticipating that we're going to see? It, it seems right on right now in terms of investors in the media sector, it, it's not quite uh, what it was maybe at the end of 2020 when I think about you know Disney or how Viacom and Discovery went for some nice rides uh, earlier this year. How, how do you see uh, it playing out for these stocks in the second half of the year? Sure. Well, I'm, again, I'm, I'm a credit analyst, so I, I won't comment <laughs> on stocks. But, um, but I will say the conversations we've had have gone from, let's talk about the pandemic and what the recovery looks like, to now we're talking about secular trends again. Same exact conversations we were having with investors two years ago. What's cord cutting look like? You know, what's the decline of television look like? And clearly, you know, what's streaming and that's dominating every conversation we're having. And the thing about cord cutting, we, we you know, we were remiss not bringing it up because at the end of the day, it, it is the biggest revenue stream in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, if I, if I'm, the pandemic actually, I think, wasn't quite the the killer uh, that people thought it would be for cord cutting, which actually held up for a, for a variety of reasons. But do you feel that once we come out of the pandemic more clearly that in this country, we're going to see cord cutting reaccelerate? It's a great question. And every year we publish our forecast and every year we're wrong. So I'm going to say that I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be wrong, which is we think so last year, cord cutting, you know, if you include the um, both the virtual operators as well as the, the physical operators, cord cutting was somewhere on the order of about 5%. Um, we think it's going to accelerate a little to about 6% going forward. Um, and, 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 you know, and we've looked at a couple of years and that's our forecast. At least that's what we're modeling to. And having said that, we're probably going to be wrong. Well, I mean, it's just because to some degree it defies belief. You've for years now. And 2021 will be the biggest yet. You see how much is collecting on the streaming side in terms of what they could do to entice cord cutting. But at the end of the day, isn't it really about sports and that as long as linear TV keeps a stranglehold on the best rights, there's only so much we're going to see cord cutting happen. That's the theory. I agree with you. That's the theory. But then, you know, now the conversation becomes you know, ESPN Plus, when does Disney decide ESPN Plus will now contain all of its content? Because it's got it's gotten streaming rights, you know, for every one of its sports. 
Um, you know, what happens with Sinclair and the RSN, the, 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 the D2C RSNs that they're planning on launching? I mean, all of these things, you know, peck away. I mean, peck probably too small a word. They chip away and they, they take out big chunks of, uh, of, of the, the, the cable bundle. At some point, we're going to reach, you know, an inflection point where Disney's going to say, enough's enough. You want ESPN, you can get it via streaming. And then the model falls apart. And is that five years away? Is it 10 years away? I don't know. That's the balancing act so many media companies are uh, navigating right now. And it's going to be interesting to continue to do that. Um, Naveen, that's all the questions I have. Appreciate you taking the time out for uh, a big picture discussion. Appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.